Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode six. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. Today, we're continuing with chapter five of Outcast. If you're new to the show and want to hear the story from the beginning, please check out episode two in your podcast feed. And of course, I'm cross-posting this episode on the original Outcast podcast feed. If you're listening to this there, I encourage you to subscribe to this new show at feeds.feedbrenner.com slash kickinthecast. And now, without further ado, here's chapter five of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 5 You are no longer my son. How is it possible for someone to cheat death not once, but twice? What kind of destiny must one have when the very hands of the patron stay the scythe of the reaper twice in a row? We often hear of people getting a second chance at life after suffering an accident or other tragedy, but not very often do you hear of someone cheating death twice. Some would call it a blessing, others a curse. Me? I'm still undecided. My eyes opened slowly. I don't know how much time had gone by. It could have been a day, a week, or even a month. Hells, it could have been another lifetime for all I knew. All I knew was that it was sometime during the day. The incessant sunlight coming in through the grime-coated windows attested to that. I squinted from the brightness of the sun and flinched on a reflex, which was far and above the dumbest thing I could ever do. However long I'd been unconscious, I'd also apparently not moved from the fetal position into which I'd curled after the beating. Every movement caused jolts of pain to arc through my body. No matter what I tried to do, pain was the only consequence. Still, I had to try. I had to do something, or else I'd die here alone, curled up like some weeping kitten who lost its mother. The patrons had seen fit to grant me another day's worth of life, and I wasn't going to waste it away lying here. I started with my legs, slowly extending them and forcing myself to growl through the pain of stiffness and bruising. My implants all tingled annoyingly in protest, but I ignored that. Eventually, I was able to stretch my legs out without too much pain. My arms came next, and I had to stop several times to catch my breath. Because stretching my arms out also meant my chest would stretch, I felt the dried blood around Father's parting gift pull and break, causing warm, fresh blood to spill down my fur. To this day, how that gash never wound up infected is a mystery. Despite the pain, I continued working my arms for several minutes until I was able to move them freely again. Slowly. I stood up and took a long look at the place that was to be my home from now on. The place was bereft of any kind of furnishings, save a small stool that was encrusted with animal droppings, and built into the far wall was a small brick fireplace, which looked like it had once served as some feral animal's nest. The floor was dusty and covered in offal, 
but it was when I looked up that the reality of this building's purpose came into clear focus. In the center of the dwelling's ceiling, a lone hook extended down. Judging from the height of the stool, I knew the purpose of both. While Kayan's teachings spoke of compassion for the exile, that didn't mean the doctrine was completely forgiving. I wondered briefly at how many lost souls ended their lives at the end of a belt or rope tied around that very hook that held my attention. Would that be my fate someday? Would the loneliness and despair of this new existence drive me to go through with it? I tore my gaze away from the hook and admonished myself for thinking that way. Perhaps it was providence, or a sick coincidence, but the first thing I saw when looking away from the hook was a mouthful-sized chunk of red, bloody meat. I shuddered at the thought of what I'd done the night before. The pakla's blood was still on my tongue, bitter and coppery. I felt myself grow both fascinated and repulsed by what I'd done the night before, wondering briefly if or when they'd come back looking for payback. I was about to move towards the chunk of leg on the floor, but all at once the smell of the place almost made me wretch. It didn't help my situation that I was just as filthy as the rest of the place. I quickly forgot about the chunk of flesh and turned towards the door. My first task was to find some way to clean up and tend to the now bleeding wound on my chest. Grandfather taught me years ago about the different wild plants that could serve as healing salves or disinfectants. With any luck, I could find some in the area. I figured there would be enough dead wood lying around that getting a fire going wouldn't be too much trouble. Cleaning the place, though, that would be another matter. I learned something when I moved towards the door to go outside. There was a stark difference between standing and walking while in pain. Trying to move opened whole new universes of discomfort for me, and I nearly collapsed from it. Luckily, I made it to the wall beside the door and braced myself until I thought I could continue. When I was sure, I pulled the door open and stepped outside. I could see that despite its dilapidated appearance, the dwelling was sound. I had to hand it to my former clan. They had taken Kaon's edict far more seriously than I expected. There was a fair bit of open ground between the dwelling and any of the surrounding forest, which meant I could see any potential intruders coming long before they reached me. I thought of a few other purposes such a clearing could serve, including using part of it as a fire pit for cooking during the summer months. <laughs> Let me tell you. Nothing beats the taste of a fire-cooked tuaro roast on a warm summer night. My stomach echoed that sentiment and began growling rather loudly. The last meal I'd really had was yesterday morning at the hospital. Gods. That seemed like another lifetime ago. In a way it was, I guess. Now, technically the last bite of meat I had was from the leg of that Shatlia who'd gotten a little too close, but it wasn't like I ate what I'd ripped off. However, I knew that the longer I put off finding something to eat, the more tempting that little morsel would become. I headed into the forest, hoping to find anything edible to satiate my hunger, if for only a few hours. Anyone who ever said that nature would provide never tried finding food in that forest by my new dwelling. I searched for what felt like hours before finding a few berry bushes and even a few wild grapevines. With it being so early in the year, nothing was overly ripe. However, compared to an empty stomach, the sour taste of unripe fruit was heavenly. 
If I were careful with the places I found, I would have food for a while, but I knew before too long that I need something more substantial. As I walked through the woods, I noticed several burrows in the forest floor. It seemed that this area was rife with baloths. These burrowing rodents were large enough to be a meal, but Bengalan society considered them vermin. Most people I knew paid to have them exterminated, not harvested. I sighed. It might not be fire-seared Tuaro steaks, but they'd have to do. My sojourn into the woods netted me another prize of sorts. I found a secluded stream not too far from the dwelling. It was just a few meters past the tree line heading north. At one bend in the stream, the current seemed to slow right down to the point that it was less a stream and more of a deep, calm pool. The water was clear, and I could see the bottom, where a collection of smooth gray stones lay. I knelt and stuck my hand in. It was cool, but not uncomfortably so. It had a clean scent to it, not smelling of any rot or decay. I cupped my hands in the pool and brought the water to my mouth. I drank it down and it tasted like fresh lake water. It reminded me of the lake on the estate where my family would spend time in the summer. I scooped up more handfuls of water and drank it down greedily, savoring it. Once satiated, I took one last mouthful and sloshed it around in my mouth to get the remaining blood taste out. I spat the water out after several minutes, running my tongue over my teeth and feeling refreshed. As I looked up from the stream, I noticed a few other things about this area that were unusual. For one thing, many of the plants surrounding this natural pool were Asheria plants. The leaves of the Asheria secreted an oil that was a key ingredient for herbal cleaning and grooming products on Bengalis. Further, the bushes were dense enough that unless one was actively looking for it, the pool was invisible. Thinking about that reminded me all too quickly that the offal from the dwelling still covered me. Moreover, the gash on my chest needed cleaning. Lake water was probably not the best solution, but it had to be better than what covered me now. On reflex, I took a quick look around to make sure I was still alone before peeling out of my clothes and slipping into the water. It was a shock to the system at first, but after that initial chill, the water felt much more comfortable. I walked out into the center of the small pool and was surprised that it came up to my chest. The stones beneath my feet felt far too smooth to be natural. They were also bereft of any algae or other coatings, which made me wonder if this little oasis wasn't a completely natural occurrence. Had another exile from long ago created this place? I waded over to one of the Asheria plants and noticed that nestled among them were also some small sampar bushes. These plants bear a bulb filled with a viscous, oily fluid that worked both as an antiseptic and healing salve. That all but confirmed my suspicions that someone had created this place to serve them during their time as an exile. The only question was, who? Exile was a rare fate amongst my clan. While not a typical conversation subject, I could not recall another Calamar exile before me. I ducked my head underwater to make sure all my fur was wet, and then plucked a handful of the thickest Asheria leaves I could find. I hoisted myself onto the bank of the pool and squeezed the leaves as hard as I could, which is saying something. Moments later, the leaves gave up their precious oil and I stood up. I rubbed my oil-soaked hands everywhere I could reach, determined to get rid of all the grime, filth, and blood off my body. 
Once thoroughly soaked up, I jumped back into the water and spent the next several minutes rinsing the oil out of my fur. When finished, my fur felt clean and softer to the touch than I could ever remember. I can understand now why Tila always insisted on those expensive shampoos. My clothes were next. I grabbed the shirt first and did my best to wash the blood and grime off. I had to be careful not to tear it any further than Father's blade had. Hopefully, I could somehow replace it. For now, though, it was all I had. Next came the pants. Thankfully, they weren't damaged, but I was surprised at all the dirt that came out of them as I kneaded and squeezed the material in the water. Once all this dried, I'd look half presentable again. After hoisting myself out of the water, I hung the clothes over the bushes to hopefully dry in the rising sun. It felt a little strange, walking around in naught but my fur, but I assured myself that no one from the clans would bother wandering around here. Even the Chatelier wouldn't come back so soon. At least, I hoped they wouldn't. Up until all of this, I'd always admired the Honor Guard and thought it was something to which I wanted to aspire. Obviously, after what they did to me, those aspirations were gone. They felt less like a group of elite fighters and more like a gang of thugs now. There was no reason to jump me like they did. Kicking a cub when he was down? Was that what they considered their honorable duty? How low could they go? I would find out later just how far. However, I had more immediate things to worry about. I picked two sampar bulbs from the bush and squeezed one of them. Unlike the Asheria leaves, the bulb produced a milky white oil that had a sharp antiseptic odor. I grimaced. This was going to sting. The moment I touched the cut with my oil-soaked fingers, I realized that I'd underestimated just how badly it would. I fell to my knees and clenched my teeth, but I kept going. A little pain now would save me from something far grislier later. Eventually, I used up both bulbs and had treated my wound generously. By the time I finished, that dull, throbbing ache of nerve endings pushed past any point of tolerance replaced the stinging. Movement at that point became too painful, so I laid back on the ground and just let the oil and the sun do their work. After several minutes, I felt myself finally beginning to relax, at which point I realized that this was the longest I'd been idle since waking up. I'd been running on automatic all this time, moving without really thinking. Now that I was still, my mind decided it was time to consider all that had happened. The questions began firing off in my mind all at once. How had this happened? Had they all known? Why exile me? Why not kill me? The shock of everything was finally beginning to wear off, and the despair was slowly creeping in. I had no money, no real food, and no way to take care of myself now. Whatever little I knew about survival would do me no good in conditions like this. And what about defending myself? Sure, I was stronger than most, but Father always taught me that strength was no match for skill when it came to combat. If or when those Chatelia came back to finish what they'd started, I'd be powerless to stop them. Knowing them, they'd come and slit my throat as I slept on that filth-ridden floor. And even if I survived them, there was no way I could ever again face any of my friends or family. 
Any clansmen caught associating with me risked an exile of their own, lest they execute me on the spot. My non-clan friends would also be in danger, unofficial as that may be. Anyone who associated with me, if caught, would become a target of the Shatlia. To protect everyone, I'd have to remain here. Alone. I could feel the tears welling up as I turned onto my side, careful not to let the slash wound on my chest open again. The utter hopelessness of my situation erased the refreshed feeling I had earlier, and replaced it with a cold, heart-wrenching realization. There was no way out of this. Like it or not, I was now alone in a world determined to kill me or drive me to kill myself. I suppose my luck was destined to run out eventually. I had survived two attempts on my life. My arms and legs made me stronger than most full-grown fighters. However, none of that mattered now. Blessed as I had been, in the end, a simple sword slash and six small words ultimately defeated me. You are no longer my son. I don't remember falling asleep. I must have, though, because when I next opened my eyes, the sun was beginning to set. I ran my fingers through my fur. Dry. Slowly, I sat up, mindful of the wound on my chest. Thankfully, I didn't start bleeding again, but it was tender. I glanced over to where I'd hung my clothes and was relieved that they were all where I'd left them. The air was beginning to cool, and though I hated to admit it, I knew my best bet for shelter was the dwelling. I slipped my undershorts on and gathered the rest of my clothing before heading back. Maybe I could sweep out a corner of the place so I could curl up without rolling around in the filth again. Something had changed. Someone had been there, and it was a good thing. When I returned to the dwelling, I was both overjoyed and confused. Someone had been there, and they'd left gifts. Leading near the door were a broom, mop, an axe, and a spade. Next to these was a metal bucket containing a bottle of what looked like concentrated cleaning fluid, the kind you dilute with water. Next to that, I saw a rolled-up mat, and along the side of the house was a respectable pile of firewood. I must have been nigh unconscious if I didn't hear anyone bringing all this stuff in. Tied to the handle of the broom was a small fabric bag. I shook my head. Was this a dream? I reached for it and slowly opened it, spilling the contents out onto my hand. The first thing I noticed was a lighter. Okay, that would help with the firewood. Next was a small plastic bag containing about two dozen capsules. I cocked my head at these, not sure of what they were. There was also an electronic credit shit. I picked it up to check its balance. 250 credits. Spent wisely, that amount could go a long way. With it, I could easily buy a new shirt or two, along with dry goods to keep me fed until... Until when, exactly? The amount was a good short-term gift, but once it was gone, there would be no way to replenish it unless I found a way to earn a living. My coming of age was coming soon, which would classify me as an adult in Bengalan society. However, there weren't too many places that would hire an exile, even if the business had no ties to the clans. 
Those places who would hire me weren't exactly what one would consider a stand-up kind of business. With a job like that, not only would I have to watch my back for the Shatlia, but also the authorities. My mental shopping list disappeared. Until further notice, I had to keep the credit shit in reserve in case of a real emergency. I sighed. It looked like I was going to have to learn to trap Belas if I was going to eat. I wondered how long that would last before I finally gave in and pursued some rather shady employment. I suppose, if worse came to worse, I could be a bouncer at a tavern. I smiled slightly at the thought of me picking up a drunken bruiser and tossing them out the door. My enhanced strength would help me go far in a business like that. As far as jobs went, I thought that would be the most I could hope for. The last item in the bag was a folded sheet of paper. It read like a form letter, talking about the organization that left me these gifts. They were known simply as the Foundation. Officially, they didn't exist, but they had connections on both sides of Mingalan culture. Many an influential clansman apparently owed their lives to the Foundation, and they usually committed funds or other resources to help them reach out and ease the burdens of any new exiles. The letter went on to explain that the capsules were food caplets. They were normally military issue, designed to keep people going for extended periods of time without the need for food. One a day was all a person needed. So, with them, I had about 24 days worth of food. After that, it was Baloth stew. The letter ended with a warning. This was all I would get from the Foundation in terms of aid. When these supplies ran out, I was on my own. It mentioned that the wood would last the summer or a bit longer if I was frugal with it. Replenishing that wouldn't be too much of a problem from what I could see. The forest by the dwelling was thick with old wood that would dry easily. The only real problems would be food and clothing. I turned the letter over, and on the back I could see a map. It led to a location where, according to the letter, exiles could meet for a meal and fellowship. My eyes widened at this. I'd always heard that exiles lived and died alone, that they wouldn't even associate with each other, so great was their shame. Yet here was proof to the contrary in my hand. I wondered how many exiles there were in the Kerala Valley. Would I know any of them? Would they know me? I knew that eventually I would have to follow the map, regardless of the consequences. I reasoned that it would be better to get it over with earlier rather than later. That way, if things went badly and I wasn't welcome, the food tablets would keep me going until I found a way to make a living. It wouldn't be tonight, though. The sun was fast setting and I still had a dwelling to clean. I plucked a food caplet and swallowed it before putting everything back into the bag. I then picked up the bottle of cleaner and, after reading the directions, headed back to the pool with the bucket. For the next two hours, I cleaned my little dwelling from top to bottom, removing from it the stink of waste and death and replacing it with a sharp odor of chlorine and a few other chemicals. I went over the place twice just to make sure no trace of anything existed in there. The walls, windows, and even the stool had all come clean after considerable effort. I smiled, wondering if Mother would be proud of me for making the place so clean. After putting away the cleaning supplies, well, just putting them in the far corner, I picked up the sealamat and unrolled it near the fireplace. 
Thin as they were, these mats were quite possibly the most comfortable things to sit or lay on. Granted, this would be nothing compared to my old bed, but it was far better than lying on the unforgiving concrete floor. It didn't take long before I had a small fire going, after which I sat on the stool. By the firelight, I looked over the map a bit more and realized that this place for exiles to gather was a warehouse, deep in the industrial wasteland people called Junktown. <laughs> Talk about running a gauntlet. I learned about Junktown from school. It was what everyone called the old industrial sector of Kerala City. Unlike the industrial revolutions on other worlds, Bengalans weren't satisfied with technology that created so much pollution. As advances in areas like manufacturing, fuel processing, and the like evolved, the need for enormous factories and fabrication plants dwindled. Eventually, all that remained of a once vibrant industrial area became little more than a ghost town, where the buildings now stood as empty, silent reminders of a distant past. Well, perhaps empty is too strong a word. I also learned that Junktown was a haven for people like me, anyone who had to hide from society. Shelter was available there, provided one was willing to fight for it. Gangs known to terrorize the inner city were rumored to be based out of Junktown, though the authorities never pursued them that far. I remember hearing once that the Chatelier would sometimes run a gauntlet in Junktown to test their mettle, surviving against the denizens there. I finally began to feel tired, so I lay down on the mat and stared at the ceiling. I was both excited for the next day, and a little afraid. Junktown was a dangerous place filled with people far more seasoned than me in terms of fighting. I had no idea how they treated exiles, though. I decided to try and avoid them as best I could. Better safe than sorry, or worse. Maybe they tried to recruit me if I had the chance to show off my strength. It wasn't what I wanted, but I was most likely in no shape to refuse any offers should they come my way. Yeah, best to avoid as many encounters as possible. My eyes began to close, and I let sleep overtake me. In the morning, I would set up for Junktown and this exile meeting place. From there, who knew? There was no chance I'd ever see the Kalpak again, which meant no road to redemption. That cursed icon was most likely long gone by now, out of anyone's reach. Unless by a miracle, I would forever be an outcast from the clans. Bitter as it was to accept, Father was right. You are no longer my son. I was no longer his son. And that's our story. A bit of a spoiler here, but for the foreseeable future, Dallin won't be waking up from unconsciousness again. I feel sorry for the guy. He's not exactly had it easy thus far. The past week has been difficult, to say the least. Again, job hunting hasn't gone as well as I'd like, and the situation in the U.S. has me feeling, well, heart-sick. I'm sickened by what happened, and the inferno it has set off. Some people I know have been affected directly, while others are worried about loved ones near or in the affected cities. But I've also seen something else arise. 
something I never wanted to see. Hate. The divisiveness of the past four years has drawn lines in the sand, socially speaking. Now, with the violence happening, people are entrenching themselves on opposite ideological sides, and the vitriol going back and forth is heartbreaking to see. I'm not sure what will be left when this is all done and over with. I just hope it's something upon which we can build something better. That's about as far as I'm going to go with this, and that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. As always, I invite you to subscribe to the show at feeds.feedrunner.com slash kickinthecast. And if you'd like to leave some feedback, you can email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com or leave a voice message via SpeakPipe at the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, be safe. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.